Coming up, director Randall Kleiser joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hello, everyone. I'm Ileana Douglas. I'm here with Tamara Berg, my lovely co-host. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. Boy, am I excited today to talk to Randall Kleiser. I know you are. You've so been looking forward to this one. Well, Greece is the word. Come on. It's summer. We're going to talk about Greece. Uh, just a, a great... Uh, movie musical and you were mentioning to me we were talking before the show about uh, movies that have been made and things that deserve remakes I was in a remake uh, yes you were one of the a lot of lists have that in the top 10 best remakes I'm good I'm glad yeah what's the worst remake of all time I mean bless his heart I'm gonna say maybe Psycho maybe worst remake oh the frame by frame you know that would have been perfect for an art installation you know as an art thing Or a theater, a theatrical Mm. presentation, I think. But that's a movie that is, I mean, spawned sequels and remakes and a television television. show. Mm -hmm. So it's so, uh, it's it's really potent uh, to be remade, I I guess, just because the, you know, the relationship is ever, is evergreen, you know, crazy. (laughs) Yes, it is. Mother and... And son, my weird dysfunctional mother-son relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of. My favorite remake is probably The Fly with Jeff. Oh, it is. Yeah, but, but I also is it because you're friends with Jeff Goldblum? No, I mean maybe a little bit. I just bit. think it's really, <laughs> it's really good. I always think no, of it is. Gina Davis's face as he's transferred. I mean, it's very troubling. It's a David Cronenberg. It's a good one. Another one that comes up a lot that's in sort of that vein is The uh-huh. Thing. Oh, the thing! Oh my gosh, which uh, I, got- I found hor. I watched mostly, you know, like this with my hands in front of my face. This is the remake now with Kurt Russell. Correct. Yes. Right. The original, which is black and white. Yeah. Uh, which Howard Hawks produced. Some people say he may have directed it, uh, but I love that. That one's amazing. Yeah. I, I love. I love that that version of of the thing. I remember them holding the um, you know, petri dish of blood and yeah. touching it with an electrode, and it like jumping out. That scared the living daylights out uh, of me. But that was. I was. <sighs> You know, they did Grease 2, which was not a sequel. Right. Which is... Is a sequel, not a remake. Exactly. Yeah. And it's... it's And I'm, that's one of the questions I've always been fascinated by, which I guess we'll, we'll get to, is that yeah. the choreographer directed it, but why didn't... Uh, why didn't, didn't Randall right. obviously direct the film? And Grease 2 is his sort of a cult classic, maybe not in such a good way. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe not Max, for the right with, reasons. With, with, <laughs> with Michelle Pfeiffer singing that she wants a guy who's a cool rider. I don't know what that means exactly. She wants a guy who yeah. rides a motorbike. And unfortunately, the guy's Maxwell Caulfield. There's some complications there. It's just like, <laughs> it's a movie that is sort of you know, um, stands on its own. But Greece, as, as, I don't know, it's so good and so of its time, you can't, 
I don't know if you can re you, you can't remake and they did no. the live television yeah, they, version right exactly I was actually just talking to a couple of people out in the offices before we came up mm-hmm. and I remember seeing Greece it was it was came out in the summer yeah uh, it was like a 105 degree day when I went to see it you know blistering hot I got finished with it I went with a couple of my friends and I was just I was practically crying I was so happy because I loved it so much yeah I was like, why are there not more great movies like that it's amazing and then of course went on to memorize every song and half the dialogue and yeah it's had a kind of up and down because it, it mm. was hugely popular and then as i was saying my recollection when i was in school in the 80s it was like oh that's the greece everybody would go to broadway to revive their career you know oh and, and right and the you broadway know star show. and and and, and go star you know it'd be like brooke shields rosie o'donnell and, and was every, that was that sort of a bad thing or a, a maligned thing anyway it's somewhat it's sort yeah. of they did the same thing with chicago now like every yes. everybody keeps coming in to to do to play well in in greece it was rizzo sure so you know you it would be a big thing you and it always helped the person's career mm. they'd always have this huge rebound from uh but uh from you know but i would i watched uh i would go every time there was a replacement so i saw rosie o'donnell as rizzo who ad-libbed like pretty much the whole show wow and was uh, it fantastic or was it odd it was a little odd yeah because you're so you're so used to saying i was like we're Mm -hmm. here to see grace but it was it was (laughs) funny and i saw brooke shields do it but i saw a ton of uh, different people do it, and it was a, a wonderful show. And then, and then, then it's gone into cult status. It's right. just gone into, you know, like I've never been to a karaoke party where it doesn't end with people doing the songbook from Greece. Right. It just that's always. I know that's when it's time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, it's not. It's not Joe Namath singing "Turn Out the Lights." Yeah, it's somebody singing "Summer Eleven, huh? And the other thing I was going to mention with Rand, we're going to talk about it too, is uh, when you think of Randall Kleiser, all the amazing uh, television movies that oh. he made: Dawn, uh, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway, which was a major oh, part of my childhood. Oh my gosh, that's yes, when, me too. That's when television movies and uh, Boy in the Bubble, John Travolta. Right. In my growing up, like TV movies were harrowing and scarred oh, yes. you, scarred you for life. Like Linda Blair would be in prison or, you know, she'd be a teenage alcoholic or we would just watch all these. I was things. waiting to pull out to portrait of a teenage alcoholic. Yeah. 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 We would watch all these movies as if, it, as if it was normal and, you know, go to the theater and see cruising and, you know, everything was horrifying. Yeah. And so it's interesting today, like things are and our parents would take us to see all these movies. And uh, and in fact, I, I saw uh, Summer Lovers, which has full frontal nudity. In, nice. in the film, it's it's only it, well. We thought it was like again a nice summer movie, and it's basically depicts you know a sexy menage a trois happening in Greece. So uh, we're going to have a lot to the other Greece talk the, about the, the, the other Greece. Greece. Yes. Um, just quickly, I want to yes. mention a couple of the movies uh, remakes sure. that we didn't talk about that I love so much. Heaven yeah. can wait. Heaven can wait. Yes, wonderful remake. Brilliant remake. Guy named uh, Joe. What I do believe. you think about Birdcage? Lakasha Fall. Oh, fantastic. Both yes. versions I agree. are amazing. Completely different and both. both brilliant. Screenplay by, perfect screenplay, uh, I believe, by Elaine May, um, oh. director Mike Nichols. And, of course, I wanna, Nathan Lane. I who I be Elaine May when I grow up. I I, Nathan be. Lane's like one of my top. I, I've been obsessed with Nathan Lane. Incredible. For, since Incredible. I first saw him on Broadway. But he's um, literally one of my favorite actors. Father of the Bride. Father of the Bride, great, you know, completely different yes, than, again. than the original. Yep. Steve Martin, yep. Diane Keaton are always, yep. are always solid. Uh, Freaky Friday. 
Freaky Friday, right. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I I enjoy it. Not as much as the original. Yeah. What's the original? Is Barbara Harris, is it? Uh, That would be your Jodie Foster. I'm gonna, I'm taking a wild guess. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that one. Okay. Uh, Star we is Born? Were, a Star is Born? A Star is Born. Uh, Judy Garland's yeah. the best one ever. And they're remaking yeah. it. I know. With Bradley Cooper. I know. Hubba, hubba, he, he Bradley can't Cooper. Be, he can't be Woo! James Mason. He's the best. Woo! But when Bradley Jay- Cooper, come on. Now, George Cukor's Star is Born with Judy Garland. And that's the crazy year where you just can't. She lost to Grace Kelly, which uh. seems hard to believe. Uh, uh, and then finally, one of my favorite remakes, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Secret with uh, Ben, ben Stiller. Stiller. Yes, I recall I that one. I loved that one. I but, thought it was fantastic. Did he direct that also? He may have. I want to say he did. I'm I gonna, thought it was I'm absolutely gonna say fantastic. I'm going to say in that one, I'm going to go again for Danny Kaye. I'm going to go for the original. Oh, but Sorry. I see, I love Danny Kaye Sorry. so very much. And I... I'm actually on the fence with you. I'm going to put those two in yeah. in, in line. With you know each what other. needs a remake um, is uh, what is the movie with? Uh, I think it's playing tonight. On we're not live, but it's uh, Ronald Coleman and uh, Shelley Winters, and I'm, I'm I'm blanking where he plays the actor, and he and he he's so involved with his acting that he strangles her on stage. He's playing Othello, um, and I it's like. I'm thinking of the other. It's not called Random Harvest because it's his other Ronald Coleman movie. Oh, well, I'll think of it an hour later yeah. as I'm driving home. Maybe we'll put it on the Facebook myself. page. I think it's time to bring in Bra- Another George Cougar film, by the way. Okay. The one that I can't think of. Okay. Everyone's out there screaming. <laughs> yeah, they are. You idiot, it's this. Okay. Write it on our Facebook page so we'll know. Okay, Let's we're bringing bring in Randall. bring in Randall Kleiser because I'm so excited about this. Um Randall Kleiser is, of course, an iconic director. Uh, he's worked on television shows, Starsky and Hutch, Marcus Welby, numerous television movies, of course, uh, Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And then his first, how, do you, how does it work, your first feature movie? Here, come up here, is Grease. And then you follow it up with Blue Lagoon, Summer Lovers. Uh, worked with my grandfather, of course. And, and do you approve of the... Did you all wear grease jackets to the – oh, my God. Every time I look at – grease is like the happiest movie of all time. All right. Anyway, welcome, Randall Kleiser. I'm thrilled that you're here. And grease is, of course, the most success- – is it really the most – is it – when they say it's the most successful musical, do they mean financially or just means so. in appeal? Yeah. It's, it's financial. But I guess if you were to uh, do an, the whole thing with, um, you know, in, uh, what's it called – you know, uh, as time goes by, money gets more... Uh, Amortizing it. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Uh, then probably Sound of Music would be the top one. But but just in terms of bucks, I think Grease is still the word. I think, yes. <laughs> I, well, I think Grease, as I was saying, <clears throat> the top has had like a rolling, uh, you know, it, it, it's been cumulative. Mm-hmm. Like it was a huge hit, but it never stopped. It just sort of grew and grew and yeah. grew. The most fun part, I think, was the Hollywood Bowl sing-alongs. Oh, because, aren't those yeah. the best? Well, I mean, to be on stage with 17,000 fans all dressed in costumes from the movie, I mean, how many directors get to experience that? That was, I, uh, yeah. that was something. No, they uh, when they, they showed uh, the movie at, um, at Turner Classic Movies, one mm-hmm. of the people dre- people dress up. Anything where people dress up... Um, I'm uh, I'm into that. Okay, we're going to get to Greece, mm-hmm. but we're going to go back. You grew, you grew up in Pennsylvania, Dutch country. Yes. Well, now, way, yeah. is this um, 
Is this like where you know the the land of antiques and buttermilk Sh- and furniture? shakers? Yeah, well, I was born I was born in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, but then I grew up outside of Philadelphia at the, at Radnor, mm-hmm. the Rosemont area, and went to Radnor High. And mm-hmm. um, so my parents are now living there in Lancaster in the Pennsylvania oh, Dutch beautiful. country. It really is, and there's all these great farms, and mm-hmm. it's it's like the Amish country. It's Nice. I'd love and and also later on the land of uh, of of Summerstock. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, summer. I got like little, little taste of very tail tail end of of, oh, yeah. of doing things like that. And uh, we always start the show, and, and I think I already know because I did some research on you. But do you remember the first movie? I know the movie that had a lot of influence on you, but the move, first movie you remember seeing. Well, probably Wizard of Oz, but the one that that, I, that made me become a director was the Ten Commandments. Yes, yes, and uh, that the opening of the Red Sea was what made me go, "Wow, I want to be a director." <laughs> Open seas. Yes, and did you see it at a movie theater? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was ten years old. So that must have had a. Oh yeah, looking up at a big screen and seeing the opening of the Red Sea. I just went up to Santa Barbara about a month ago. They had a revival screening, a showing on a big screen, and mm-hmm. I, was, I just went right back to being a ten-year-old. Uh, yeah, well, those those kind of memories yeah, never uh, they, they trigger you back. Even though you look at it and there's there's like crazy performances like um, uh, uh, Anne ba- Ann oh, Baxter. Anne Baxter. She's really over the top. But but you know when you're a kid that looks like regular acting. Do you know who Anne Baxter's acting teacher was? Maria Ospinskaya. Oh wow, well, that <laughs> so explains that, a lot. That could be right. <laughs> It could be Maria Spinskaya. From what I've been reading, more and more, she did. Uh, she taught acting, sort of mm. on the side mm. in Hollywood and everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, her own perform, own screen performances yeah. are. But also, Nina Fosh was in that movie. Yes, and I was going to say, yeah. you also have special relationship oh, yeah. with her. Yeah, she was my my mentor and teacher at USC. She taught there for forty years, and we we did a whole uh, video of her class, and it's out and available now at ninafoshproject.com. And what what were some of the elements that she taught? Well, she studied with Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler, mm-hmm. and then she was directed by Otto Preminger and Vincent Minnelli and Robert Wise. So mm-hmm. she and she was very smart. She put mm-hmm. all that together into her own type of. Uh, Teachings and uh, was very very tough on the students and mm-hmm. um, uh, scary. It was pretty scary to be in the class. You know, she called you up and she would rip into you, and that's all on the DVD too mm-hmm. and, and the online course where you see her ripping into the students. It's very very entertaining but also educational. And we, we, when you directed, did you ever? I actually got a chance to direct her a couple times. Wow. And that was really fun. I was on a big crane up with a, uh, like 200 extras, and uh-huh. Nina was at the other end, and she was giving a speech. And I said, hey, Nina, did you ever think we'd be here? And, you know, it was kind of this really wonderful, surreal event. Yeah. God, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, I always okay. find that these sometimes these things that you, you dream about end mm-hmm. up kind of happening. So now I want to get into USC because yeah. this is what – long before – uh, obviously, I was an admirer of your films. What I was most impressed with was you were in this class with Jerry Lewis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with Jerry Lewis. He was great. And so I would always see your name. I was like, who? This must have been this incredibly magical class. Well, we thought 
That so we, say it, some of the people that were in this class. Well, which is, George Lucas and yeah. Steven Spielberg and um, uh, I guess Caleb Deschanel. A lot of yeah. people were there. But th- we all thought that it would be just a, a, a comedy class with him being silly and everything. But right. it turned out that he, he really knows a lot about every aspect of filmmaking, mm-hmm. uh, technical and also, of course, staging and comedy. But but the, the, he could he could thread a 35 millimeter projector. He could work a monogram because when he was an actor, he would go around and talk to each of the uh, crew members and say, right. "How do you do this? How do you do that?" And so that's how he learned uh, everything about directing. And then, of course, he was responsible for the live video feed. Yeah, that's he's the guy who started that. Which is incredible when you mm-hmm. see the Jer- everybody uses it. What now. was it called? Jerry's I- Idiot Box. Yeah, right. But now everyone, the video assist is something everybody has now. Uh, he was the first guy to do that. To do that, and he also he did a lot of interesting things with the film Ladies Man and yes. creating that set. He created his huge, own crane, didn't he? Huge set, yes. I mean, he <laughs> okay. opened up two sound stages and had uh, he had um, uh, uh, microphones in every room all over it so he could walk around and always mm-hmm. be covered so there's no boom man needed. Do you remember so <clears throat> some of the things he was... I'll tell you one thing when, when I was doing my research, that, that you were talking to him you said he was the only teacher that wasn't negative in a sense That's like he true. didn't poop you know he encouraged you that you're going to get jobs and yeah because all the other professors were saying hey if you don't know somebody you're not if you're not related to somebody you'll never get in the movie business you'll have to do educational films or, or industrial films so just forget it mm-hmm. and jerry was the only one who said hey look if you think you can do it you know You'll probably get there. So mm-hmm. he was right. <laughs> and you did you tail him on uh, on one I of his did. movies? Yes, it was one called Which Way to the Front, and I went and watched him work. And one of the things I remember is he was uh, working with an actor who's supposed to be really, really nervous, mm-hmm. and um, he was making a peanut butter sandwich, and so. Uh, Jerry was saying, pick up the bread, now put it down. <laughs> he was talking to him like this, and the guy was trying to follow what he was saying. And then in the movie, you know, that was all gone, and it mm-hmm. just looked like he was a crazy person. So oh. that was an interesting technique. And another thing uh, they said to you, which I think is is very smart, is to always think about not only the shot you're planning, but, Absolutely. but to think about... Three shots when you look through the lens. Think about the one before the th- and the one after. And I've always done that. Also... When you shoot a woman, never shoot her from below the chin. Or, Thank you. <laughs> or never shoot her with anything wider than a 35, is what I sort of remember. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I mean, and I followed that, too, because I always like my actors to look great. Well, I the reason I'm spending so much time on, on Jerry Lewis is because when I watch Grease... It it kind of feels like if Jerry Lewis were going to direct a musical. Well, thanks. This That's great. I'm, 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 I know that he he liked it. I mean, he he checked it out and he was he was happy with it. <laughs> it's got first of all, it's got his color palette. Yeah, it's yeah. got the bright it's his studio. Yeah, it's Paramount. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, great comedic mm-hmm. side players. Oh, Barden and oh my god, Caesar yeah. and and yeah, Imogene Coco, Dodie Goodman, Dodie Goodman, yeah. But uh, and so the uh, and then also you were in uh, school with uh, the great John Milius. Absolutely, John wrote one of my student films, and we both were very very close with Basil Polidorus, the, the composer. We mm-hmm. worked, he ended up doing a lot of our movies, uh, score wise, mm-hmm. and. Um, John has been a great friend, and I still see him. He's unfortunately had a stroke. And yes. It's very, very tough for him because he was such a raconteur, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he would, 
he would, I once went to lunch with he and um, Quentin Tarantino, and Quentin couldn't say anything because <laughs> John was monopolizing the conversation, which you can't imagine with Quentin. Yes, and some of his I've read, uh, I mean, to read John's words oh, yeah. and some of his scripts. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really wonderful writer, great guy, and, um, you know, I, I still love seeing him, and, and he's still going out and doing things like shooting and Yes. <laughs> I remember he used to have frozen pigeons in his icebox. I don't know why. I guess he would throw them up in the air and shoot them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and another gun person. Um, and so then, and you did your first short film, which I was able to watch some of it, uh, called Peach, right. which was based on, in part... Uh, totally, on my grandmother, yeah. She was in a nursing home, and we went there on Christmas Day to visit her, and she was non-responsive, and mm-hmm. um, after the family left, I stayed behind and started talking to her and holding her and touching her and, and trying to remember, have her remember memories. Mm-hmm. And then I left, and the movie is all about that, but at the very last shot of the movie is her smiling. Mm-hmm. And so you get the feeling that all that talk got through to her. And yes. That movie was used for uh, training of nurses and things to be more sensitive to people in, in that situation. Well, that's what I was going to ask because it, it seems very ahead of its time. And, and it, was it just a natural... Uh, it just it happened to me. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, And I was told by my friend Curtis Harrington, the mm-hmm. director, mm-hmm. I, I, I had, a, had started a master's thesis that was horrible and I couldn't finish it and, and um, he said why don't you do something personal and then I, that's when I had that event and I wrote about it and that got my career going was that uh, wow. idea of doing a, a personal movie instead of you know something mm-hmm. that was like just nothing. That must be such a, a learning lesson to, to, to remember that. I always talk to students about that make something personal you know. Yeah. Something that's hard to talk about that, that when you write the script you're afraid to show it to people that, that's oh. what's going to be good. Oh, that's a good. And the uh, doing. Uh, oh, and also, this is a film that's been preserved too. So that's yes, uh, it was one of the twenty-five movies that they select every year for the uh, National Archives. You yes, know, along with Back to the Future and uh, uh, All About Eve. I mean, they yeah. pick they picked a student film, my student film. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I want to mention, of course, that you worked. You did. Uh, what year did you do Portrait of uh, Grandpa Doc? Oh yeah, that was with about my grandfather. Seventy-three or seventy-four, somewhere around there. Yeah, that was wonderful because you know after I did Peach about my grandmother, mm-hmm. um, some people wanted the, the distributor got it was doing so well. The movie was doing so well. He said, "What can you do another one?" And I thought, "Well, who could I write this one about?" <laughs> and I thought about my grandfather. And Diane Baker, I had directed in a Marcus Welby episode, and, uh-huh. and she had seen Peach and thought, well, let's do something together. And I told her about my project, and he, she told me that she knew your grandfather, yes. Mel- Melvin. <laughs> and um, I said, you think he would do it? And she said, let me talk to him. And so we got him to go back to my uh, grandfather's family home on the beach in New- Seaside Park, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and I restaged all of my memories about my grandfather with your grandfather. Wow, that's a guy just got chills. <laughs> it was amazing because it, he it looked sort of like my grandfather. Uh huh. I took we went out to the boat and did crabbing together, and then he's in the in the bar. He was telling me, "I'm going to send you to art school because I see in you something that I, I think will go somewhere." And all those memories I put together with him playing the part, and it was it was magical. That was amazing to do that. It was like, I guess in a way. Um, 
creating a dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Memories in a dream. Do you feel like actors at that time were more accessible to open artistically than they are today? I feel like so many times now. I mean, Bruce Davison is in Peach. Yeah. And he, and he says, well, I just... He'd been in big movies, oh, yeah. but he did your movie because... He liked, he liked the, the subject matter, yeah, and when yeah. you're talking about my grandfather, it sounds like yeah, he, he, you know, it. he was serious about it. If this mm-hmm. has something uh, important to say, it's a good point. You know, today I, I have a project I'm trying to get with that has a young leading man in, and I've sent the script to lots of young actors, and I don't even think it gets it gets to them. I think the agents stop it because right. it's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They wanted them to do Spider-Man 12 right. <laughs> for $10 million. So I don't know if these actors even see the scripts that could get, that get to them. Right, that they have that social... Yeah. You know, my grandfather, which affected me a lot, came out of an era where social things meant oh, yeah. he was big. a lot. Yes. You know, in the blacklist and, and things like gra- that. And your grandmother, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helen Gahagan Douglas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that if it was a subject matter and he also worked with Dory Sherry at RKO right. mm-hmm. and he really did sort of message yeah. films and so that was always I think part of his consideration mm-hmm. for you know for uh, yeah. for doing a film yeah I think uh, like I say it was really great and also you know he was fairly old at the time and so yeah. he couldn't we did scenes on the beach where he was supposed to be walking we had to have a stunt double for the walking <laughs> from behind but but he was great in the close ups <laughs> yes well I saw him on the boat that was yeah. <laughs> uh, you know because I don't think uh, yeah I don't remember him too we, he, they had a lake house up in Vermont oh yeah and so that's where I, my whole childhood was part of seeing Diane Baker mm. she was around mm-hmm. You know, kind of all the time. So it's been really nice to to stay in touch mm-hmm. with her and mm-hmm. and uh, and tell stories. So then, so then after, and you said something also interesting that around a little bit before this, that the movie Easy Rider really then breaks open right. films in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. That was the turning point, I think. Uh, it was like up until then, mo- studios have been making movies for for wide audiences and families and stuff, Dar's Day and Rock Hudson movies. And and there was no movies really aimed at young people. And, mm-hmm. and the the our generation ha, uh, suddenly came up and we were going to the movies and mm-hmm. um, Easy Rider came out and we all went to it and, and that sort of changed, the sh- shifted everything. Mm-hmm. And then the independent world started to take off with films for young people. The movies, um, the movies that you were doing, the television movies, like you know, Dawn, Portrait of a Teenager. I know there's so much part of my childhood. You know what though? I mean, I once looked at that movie trying to find a clip to show, and I couldn't yeah. find one. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> it's no, the only one of my films I can't find a clip to show because it's like. But ah. you know, it's funny, Randall, because when I was growing up, you know, we took. I mean, maybe again because we had limited access to films, it wasn't like you know you could see everything. Right. Like so. Today, yeah. So, you know, when you got home from school and you watched an after-school movie, mm-hmm. you really learned something. You yeah. know, you really learned, don't learned run away. Learned how to be a hooker, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned how to run away and be a hooker, right? We <laughs> learned that's what happens if you don't get along with your mother. Yeah. And you, be, uh, you know. So they were cautionary. Yeah, cautionary tales. They were cautionary uh, tales, mm-hmm. as was. But the, uh, again... Cult status, the the boy in the uh, in the bubble has uh, 
has and how and that's again based on a, a real life incident. Yeah, a boy who had no immune system, and you know when Remember when that. AIDS came out, I always thought, why don't they try that with with people who had AIDS at the early yeah. part when there were no no uh, no ways to combat it, just put them in these bubbles. But I don't think I've never heard of anyone doing that. Yeah, and so that leads uh, again. This just seems an incredible leap of faith of working with John Travolta. <laughs> he says, look. Bring on, bring on my friend. I mean, what did he see in you that you were able to stage? Then this, this. Well, you know, first I was, uh, I was originally flown to New York the week that um, Tribal Rights of the Saturday Night came out in the New York magazine mm-hmm. uh, to meet Robert Stiglitz about directing Saturday Night Fever. That was the oh. first one because I think Wish John you... John had said he wanted yeah. to work with me, so that that was the first thing I met on, and then suddenly I was on Greece. So. Uh, I think Alan Carr probably had something to do with that. The and your impressions. It's interesting to go back because I was looking at interviews of John Travolta early on, and it, and I was thinking, you know, what's interesting about him is that component that he comes from Broadway. That is what mm-hmm. kind of really made it. You know, he's on even though he's on Welcome Back, Cotter, he had that confidence of somebody that was yeah. on stage. Yeah, he played Duty in the Broadway show of Greece. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, he was um, uh, uh, the the first lead he did was Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and mm-hmm. and you know um, everybody in, in America knew him from Welcome Back, Cotter. Right, and he was excited about having the first his first lead. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I cast uh, Diana Highland to play his mother, mm-hmm. and they ended up dating. Yeah, afterwards. and then she died, and he accepted the Emmy for her mm-hmm. uh, after she died. God. Very wild ride there. And then the next thing you're doing, Greece. So, so when you're first hearing, so do you have the script and then the songs, or do you have the song and then the script? We went to see the uh, show. The show. It was in in Chicago. We flew mm-hmm. to Chicago. Alan and I went to Chicago and saw the show. And then we're trying to figure out which songs worked and which mm-hmm. songs made it maybe needed an upgrade. And um, uh, Summer Nights definitely worked on the stage. Yeah. And, that was, and we go together. Those two were like, wow. And yeah. Grease Lightning. Grease like, Lightning is great. But some of the other ones we thought could be better, and, and, and um, we got John Farrar to write uh, You're the One That I Want mm-hmm. and uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You. And, and you know, we had... Uh, and Frankie Valley wrote... I mean, Barry Gibb wrote mm-hmm. Grease Song for Frankie Valley. So yeah. It was really fun that summer because... Driving along in my car, I had a, I had a convertible. I turn on the radio and go from station to station to station, <laughs> and they're all all playing all summer on every my childhood. I thought, is this how all movies work? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and uh, yeah, I know you've told this before, but it is interesting. Olivia Newton-John like didn't want to be in. The, I've no. never heard of this. Where where she wants she requests the screen test. The screen yeah. test. Yeah, she wasn't sure it would work because she had done a sci-fi movie in in England that mm-hmm. didn't work, and she didn't like it, and she didn't. Like how she looked, and and then she was concerned a little bit, I think, about, about playing opposite John because John was much younger than her at the time, mm-hmm. and yeah, even now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she, so she wanted to see how she looked and how she felt about me, and and so John and I got together and and, and worked with her, and we did the drive-in scene as a test, mm-hmm. and uh, and she she felt very comfortable, and we did it. Oh, they worked out, and she also came up with her look at the end, like yeah. she she showed she comes out of the trailer with a. That's right. That was that was when we were shooting the drive-in scene. That's when they put that look together, and we were. It was nighttime at the mm-hmm. at the 
the drive-in in the valley it's not there anymore um the uh i forget the name of it anyhow <clears throat> she came out of the trailer and, and and she was walking towards me i was by the cameras mm -hmm. at the drive-in and this blonde girl's coming <laughs> looking at this wild outfit and i said who the hell is that and all the whole crew was going wow and they, they didn't know who she was because it was dark and yeah. she looked so different and and uh, it was a big night. You know? Well, and a look which she, which is, again, crazy. This would never happen again. Which she replicates at the premiere. Like, she yeah. goes to the premiere yeah. as nice Absolutely. Sandy yeah. and goes to the after party. <laughs> it's yeah, just that crazy. Was, that, was, that was Alan, I'm sure. Alan Carr. He was, like, such a showman. It's such a, yeah. Yeah. Um, so shooting, and you're shooting on Paramount. Yeah. And how uh, long did the some of the dance sequence? I know that once the 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 scene in the dance contest took about like a week to shoot. Yeah, yeah, we shot that at a high school um, uh, out in the eastern LA, but mm -hmm. but um, we, we shot um, at three high schools and at, at the, the lot, and we rehearsed for five weeks mm -hmm. at, at a soundstage ahead of time, and. Um, you know, I would rehearse the, uh, the the scenes, and then Pat Birch would rehearse all the da dancing scenes mm -hmm. for those five weeks. And during lunch, we'd we'd work on the transitions from dialogue to to dance. Had you been a fan of? I mean, because again, one of the things about the movie that to me just holds up so well is that the dance sequences are just well, Pat, so well Pat's shot. That's wonderful, you know. And, and and I had Bill but Bill Butler who shot Jaws. He mm -hmm. was the cameraman. Mm -hmm. And so the two of them, you know, Pat had done the, the the Broadway stage version, so she that was like easy for her to to adapt that, and and Bill had shot in Panavision quite a bit. Oh, and so and it's so, widescreen. Yeah, um. yeah. So and I had never done that, so it was great to have them, and then uh, they just Alan surrounded me with really great people, and of course the costumes by Albert Walski were fantastic. I, I mean, that was, if you look oh. at those costumes, they're flawless <laughs> and uh you know his uh i mean yeah it's got a little it's got it touches of every great you know it's mm -hmm. got a little bit of elvis it's got every little great we had the um uh windbreaker from uh rebel without a cause in the beginning which, uh -huh. although it was blue in in the movie it was red um but yeah albert did a great job yeah um and do you have do you remember having like a favorite day i know you had a lot of People I think the drive-in was my was favorite, favorite day because because I got to be I got to do something that no director would ever ever do again, which is um, to pick out the the cartoon that was going to be behind John uh, that night. I, I sent away for twelve uh, popcorn trailers, and normally you would animate that yourself and you'd have it planned out and storyboarded and ready to go yeah. and think think it out but mm -hmm. in this case I, I just stopped production and I said let's all look at these trailers and we, and we just started looking at 12 trailers and I said oh well, I like that one. Oh, wow can you put back that one up so that the hot dog jumps in the bun at the end of the playback and they said well let's see if we can figure that out and so we did it that night it was, but it looks like it was all planned oh my god <laughs> no it looks amazing mm -hmm. you had uh, but uh, you had people like Ru Rudolf Nureyev visiting yep yep and uh, uh um, the guy who bends spoons, Yuri Geller, came to the set, <laughs> and I think Jack Nicholson came by, and uh, uh, I, I remember Warren Beatty was on the lot at that time. So, 
It was, it was really wild. Well, because nobody was doing a music. I mean, no. was anyone even doing musicals? Well, yes, actually, there was another musical being shot right at the same time, which was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Okay, see, no, I don't remember. We don't well, remember that one. That was also so. Robert Stigwood, and that was the movie they thought was going to be the big hit. Oh, that's so funny. So their, um, their cast and crew party had mounds of shrimp and caviar, and we had hot dogs and hamburgers. And we, they left us alone on Greece because they, they thought it was just going to be a little teen musical that would come and go. That's incredible. Yeah. Boy, were they wrong. Well, <laughs> it was good because they, didn't, they weren't breathing all down our necks. Did uh, I have to ask about Eve Arden just because I'm oh, obsessed man. with her? Right. She was amazing. I, I had known her ahead of time. I don't know through her manager Glenn's. Yeah. Um, so, but she's exactly the way she appears on screen, and so is Olivia. Those two actresses. Yeah. You know, when you met them, they were just like their their on screen personality. It's just incredible. Very fun lady. The uh, Stockard Channing said that it was it was a fantasy that she, she thinks the reasons last is it's everyone's fantasy of how they wanted high school to be. Maybe so for yeah. them. Well, there's archetypes at every high school like those people. Yeah, you know, you always find the people like that. And Jim Jim uh, Case uh, Warren, um, the guys who wrote the script, uh, uh-huh. the play, captured that. But we, Alan and I, kind of um, we made it a little more. Um, mm, pop I think yeah uh, than it was it, it was a little more gritty in the play mm-hmm. yeah it's got the well that's why I said it's got the the, the best of Jerry Lewis mm-hmm. in, in terms yeah. of the color mm-hmm. um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is just because you love production design mm, and, yeah. thing, and again Greece seems to really have that attention to detail mm-hmm. which then goes out the window in Greece too a little <laughs> bit it, well it just it tries to be a little bit more realistic mm-hmm. and what were the reasons that you didn't do Grease 2? Well, at the time, I, I was doing Blue Lagoon, which oh, was I something I was trying to get off the ground even before Grease, because mm-hmm. I, I absolutely loved the book, and I thought it would be fun to do one a movie that was closer to the, the novel, mm-hmm. because uh, the movie that was made in the 40s with Gene Simmons didn't follow the story, you know, because mm-hmm. they couldn't. It was They couldn't get into the sexuality of children growing up without any... any um, Instructions, mm-hmm. and uh, so they had subplots about pirates coming and making them dive for oysters and things like that. <laughs> so it was fun to be able to go back and do the real book. And where did you shoot Blue Lagoon? That was shot in a little island called Nanuya Levu in Fiji, and it was oh. where the actual first movie was shot. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it would oh. be fun to, and I was trying to find it. I saw the movie, and I. Uh, got a seaplane and I was flying all over the Fijian Islands looking for this cove with a little island mm-hmm. off to the side and finally found it and landed and it was owned, the island was owned by this man named Richard Evanson who comes from America and mm-hmm. and, uh, and he was living there um, and let us shoot there. The DP of Blue Lagoon was uh, Ooh, Nestor yes. Alamandros yes. who had the first movie I ever worked on was Nestor Alamandros New York Stories oh cool it, yeah, it was just a little small thing but I was I mean my god Nestor Alamandros yeah but just tell me anything well, about him he was fantastic you know I was about to give up on Blue Lagoon because no one would, would let me do it mm-hmm. and then I saw a 70 millimeter print of Days of Heaven Mm-hmm. at MGM Studios and I just said wow this is the look I want for, for Blue Lagoon and I said who's this young guy who shot this and it turned out it wasn't a young guy it was a middle aged guy who yeah. had done a lot of Truffaut's films so I tracked him down went to New York met him and, and, and he inspired me to not give up and to make it happen wow. and uh, 
He was a, a wonderful guy, the best artist I've ever worked with uh, mm -hmm. in any way, because he was like, every movie he would do, he would base on, on a painter of some kind. And he has a book called A Man and a Camera. He's gone now, but mm -hmm. the man, A Man and a Camera. And every chapter is about which painting he used as inspiration for the movie he did. Well, you can learn a lot from looking at, um, I mean, people always forget. It's like to go back and look at paintings. You can yeah. actually look, learn a lot about light. And we use Paul Gauguin's uh, oh, the best. images for Blue Lagoon. And, but he, he, every movie he would pick one. Were there any technical difficulties because of the bright sunlight or the water? Or how, uh, how, do, how does one compensate? Yeah. Well, what we did was, like like in Days of Heaven, we did a lot of uh, magic hour photography. Oh, I see. Where you rehearse the show, all, the, 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 you rehearse the day's work all day long, yeah. and then right at magic hour, you shoot their day's work with several cameras, uh -huh. and you get this amazing look, which is very dangerous because if you, uh, if you miss it, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've missed a whole day or behind right. the day. And, and you can see this in La La Land, you know, uh, that, that da wonderful dance scene at dusk. Yes. When I saw that, I thought, that's got to be special effects. But yeah. I, I talked to uh, the director, and he said, no, that was, that, they did the same thing. They, they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, and then uh, shot right at magic hour. Yeah. But uh, that must give it a certain excitement. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah. It's like almost like going on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, like a Broadway show. Um, and so the movie comes out, and then so some people didn't like the movie. It gets uh, sort of a bad... Kitty porn, they called it. It's such a shame. <laughs> well, it didn't hurt the box office. Oh, it know. didn't. It and still no, did well. Yeah, yeah. And they took Columbia took out a full-page ad <laughs> talking about how it was natural, everything was natural that was in the movie. And, yeah. you know, it never even occurred to me that there was anything salient about it because I shot it in a way that, you know, it's it's just beautiful and right. you know it's sensual yes but there's no real uh, erotic stuff in it mm -hmm. although when the scene where Chris Atkins is masturbating on the rock mm -hmm. with his back to us uh, after we shot that uh, Brooke came up and said what was he doing <laughs> on that rock <laughs> and I said ask your mother <laughs> excellent that's, that's how you learn about life yes. during movies. Have you kept in touch with either of them? Well, yeah. Actually, um, we, were, we were all invited back to the island. Oh. Um, and Brooke couldn't make it, but Chris and I went back uh -huh. for uh, 30 years later. Oh. And they run the movie every week there. At, it's become a resort where there's, you know, it's like $1,500 a day, and they, uh -huh. it's, it's become this wonderful resort with solar energy, and uh, all, they have 90... Uh, um, staff members for 14 guests and uh, <laughs> and they put on shows oh. it's it's become like this wild place I mean people like uh, Al Gore and, and uh, celebrity Britney Spears and uh -huh. it's a great place for honeymoons and stuff like that oh to, yeah. to recapture did they yeah. was there they, they didn't do a sequel to Blue Lagoon or did they yes they Return did. to the Blue Lagoon I, I, and it yeah. really mm, I wanted really hard to do it as the second book that the author wrote, but mm -hmm. um, the studio wanted to just rehash the first movie, so I, right. I, didn't, I wasn't that involved in it. It's too bad because the second book would have been nice, but uh, it and Mila Jovovich played the character, which which wonder, she was wonderful, and mm -hmm. uh, so, but it, it just it wasn't like inspirational because it wasn't based on the material, right? Uh, and then now you're, and then is the next movie uh, called Summer 
Summer Lovers? Summer Lovers, yes. Which I guess from a major part of my childhood. I said, when I was growing up, you know, your parents, we just went to the movies and you saw whatever. Yeah. So it was kind yeah. of like, it seemed so, it didn't affect us, but, you know, badly. It seemed mm-hmm. like that's what happens when you grow up. You mm-hmm. go to Greece and, and you have, have a three way. <laughs> you have a menage a trois. And I, I got to know, you know, one of the first people I ever, my first job ever when I moved to New York is I worked for a film publicist named Peggy Siegel uh-huh. and I remember seeing Peter Gallagher like walk I was like I've mm. seen him mm-hmm. idol maker mm. but that's how you 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 had originally you had another actor and he had to drop out so Dennis, tell that story Dennis Quaid and um, uh, the girl was uh, Dennis Quaid and um, uh, oh I'm getting old <laughs> um, I'll think of it in a second anyhow these, I had these two actors who were going to mm-hmm. play the role, and they both called on a Friday and said that they um, uh, they didn't want to do the nudity, and they were backing out. So mm-hmm. I had a crew waiting in Fiji, and I had a recast over the weekend. And uh, so I immediately hired... Um, I had Willie Ames and Diane Lane. That's who it was. Oh, I see. Oh, wait, no, we're talking about... not. Those are Summer Lovers, right? Summer Lovers, oh, yeah. yes. Because I had oh. that problem happen on Blue Lagoon, too. You're that, kidding! Yeah. So that yeah. could have been Diane Lane. Yeah, Diane Lane and Willie Ames were the original like people. That. They backed out. And then oh. on <laughs> on Summer Lovers, it was Dennis Quaid and someone else uh-huh. that backed out, too. And um, so I had a recast over the weekend. And, and, and uh, that's how I, I saw... The idol maker that Saturday night, mm-hmm. on that we and then cast him on Sunday, and we went to. So it, it happened twice. Well, this there's another great story with it's kind of like Lana Turner the way you got Daryl Hannah in the movie. <laughs> this is right. crazy. That's right. I was having lunch at the Warner Brothers commissary, and um, she was shooting Blade Runner, and um, I just saw her across the, the room, and I saw her face, and I saw her her look, her body, yeah. and everything. I thought, wow, she'd be great in Summer Lovers, and. So I wrote this le- note to her. I wrote this note. I said, To the girl in the pink dress, if you are an actress, call this number for a screen test. This is not a joke. And I gave it to the, um, oh, to the waitress, and then I left. I didn't, I didn't want to go over and... Yeah. Because then she'd think I was trying to pick her up or something. Yeah. So then she called, and she got the part. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd pay anything to see that note. <laughs> I think she still has it. It would yeah, be yeah. incredible. Like, that's that's everyone's fantasy. So, yeah. <laughs> so you go, and now what, where where did you shoot that? What island? That was in Santorini in Santorini. the Greek islands. I had heard about it. Mm-hmm. When I was on, when I was promoting Blue Lagoon, uh, one of the journalists said, hey, I just went to to Santorini. I said, what's that? And he told mm-hmm. me about how everybody from around the world, all these European kids would go there and there was nude beaches and they would have all these affairs. And so mm-hmm. I went to check it out and wrote, wrote the story when I was there. Was it based on any autobiographical? Oh, well, oh, no. <laughs> could be. It's a great movie to watch in the summer, though. Oh, yeah. And the, um, the music is good. Too. Oh, the music is yeah. Uh, yeah, the music is beautiful. We, we went around. I, I got the top ten songs from every country that mm-hmm. uh, in Europe, and I listened to them all. And then we sprinkle those throughout, like like yeah. source music, which is what was happening there. You know, we were hearing songs from all around around the world because yeah. kids from all over Europe would go there. So I was the first time I was ever in. Uh, Europe, I think it was 84, no wait, even before maybe 83, but even in those days they had radio, I remember being in Vienna mm. and having they still had Radio Free Europe mm-hmm. and so you could be there and listen to the Beatles and right. I, I felt like I was in the 1950s, yeah. it really was yeah, yeah. 
So to hear an American song, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but also the 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 uh, local songs were very cool. They're very different from what we hear, normally hear. So in Summer Lovers, you hear American stuff, and then all this kind of weird yeah, that nice pop stuff from different countries. Did you ever go back to the? Yeah, I'm sure they have. Now, do they have watched the movie every year also? Or? I don't know, because I, I went back there under very uh, unusual circumstances. It was um, to, to scatter the ashes of a friend, and uh, so it was not like a celebration. Oh. Was, in a way, it was a celebration, but that's when I went back. Were there any, when you were doing the film, were there, was there any inspiration of some of these French films, like Jules oh, and yeah. Jim, oh, or yeah. sure. all those kind of triangle? Sure, all the French movies. That's where I got the idea of doing a, an American version of a French Monage à Trois movie. Mm-hmm. That's, that was what was the inspiration for that. And uh, and then, you know, when I was in college, I saw all these English films called, mm-hmm. like Morgan, Alfie, Darling, right. and Knack. And I got to do a movie like that, too, called Getting It Right. I found a novel, a comedy novel, uh, about a, uh, a hairdresser, a, a straight hairdresser who mm-hmm. uh, is a virgin, and how he falls in love and, and I got to work with Lynn Redgrave and Helena Bonham Carter and Sir John Gilgood it was it, that was another wonderful project that most people don't know about no and did you shoot it in London yeah and now how, how do I get to see this because I haven't I don't seen know. this I one mean, I'd love to figure out how to get that on Netflix or something because okay. it's really fun you know I don't know I don't know what the how you'd go about that the company was a small little company and mm-hmm. but it's, it's a fun movie getting it right so that type of movies that involve like uh, quick cutting a quick script what is no. the you know farce because you, when you say the knack I'm thinking yeah, the of the knack was fast paced this is more like Georgie Girl uh-huh. you know just a real uh, all those movies that I mentioned were all about sort of like quirky people in London yeah. who were uh, you know trying to find their way and f- fall in love and, mm-hmm. and that's what this novel was like so right. I tried to shoot it in the style of those movies and um cast a lot of the people who were in those films so mm-hmm. it was it was like taking my college memories and trying to recreate recreate them you must have uh i mean like to get to work with john kyoga that wow. must have been that was fantastic i mean he was playing a um a lord who had bought the title you know and uh-huh. so he came up with an accent that was kind of like <laughs> trying to be posh but not really you uh-huh. know? and so every once in a while he would say a word that was like off and he, he did that all on his own you know I, I, I all I did was aim the camera at him I didn't yeah. really direct him I, <laughs> but he was funny I always heard stories was just from things I've read his whole gang because he had his gang of like mm-hmm. Ralph Richardson yeah. and he and and then he was very like he was very kind of body and mm-hmm. oh yeah you know yeah. not much like we see him in the movies sure. and he was yeah. very he'd be really outrageous and say crazy things was he? Did you ever? No. When I worked with him, he, it was just one day, and, and um, I was in awe of him. So I, we weren't hanging out. We it was just we just had like a few hours to work together. Yeah. And, and he was trying to remember his lines and stuff. But it was it was it was really a magical time to be there working with him. To be and what what year again is that? Is that I think one? It was around eighty nine maybe? Eighty nine. So, so rel- yeah, relatively. Yeah. Was there something wrong with the distribution or what? It was uh, this company called MCEG that went bankrupt. It mm-hmm. was Jonathan Crane, who was a wonderful producer and uh, the husband of Sally Kellerman. Mm-hmm. And um, he took us to Cannes and, and, 
and had wonderful parties and stuff. But, you know, when you're trying to do a small company it's, right. and you're up against the biggies, it's just hardly ever worked. Well, this is like a whole time. So you, after doing all these studio movies, you start doing uh, more. Uh, is this more in the independent yeah. vein? Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea of, of um, doing things where there's not a lot of people telling you how to cast or how to cut it or what, what should be taken out, what should be kept mm-hmm. in. You know, it's more fun to do independent movies. But had you had that experience? Because it doesn't. It seems. I mean, when I when I think of your early movies, it just seems like you're gliding along. Well, from Summer Lovers was kind of an independent movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I wrote that one, and uh, I didn't have a lot of people pushing me around on that. But uh, when you work for the big studios, that's, right. that's when there's a committee f- that helps you decide everything, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is not as fun. <laughs> yes, right. And how how do you get involved with doing the the Pee Wee movie? The oh well, Paul was um, Paul Rubens was uh, the voice on um, Flight of the Navigator. I see. Uh, I did that I did that movie for Disney, which was mm-hmm. a um, kid in a spaceship movie, mm-hmm. and we were looking for a voice. And, mm-hmm. and I'd seen Pee Wee Pee Wee's Pee Wee Herman, and I thought he'd be a great voice. And he said, "Yeah." And so we worked on that. And then yeah. when he was he wrote and, and produced Big Top Pee Wee, and so mm-hmm. he asked me to direct to direct that. Did you enjoy? Oh yeah, working was, with him. It was fantastic. We were out in the Disney Ranch, and we had a actual whole circus that we brought in. And yeah, hippopotamuses and and elephants and giraffes. And we had Michael Dr- Jackson's giraffe. We used. <laughs> and it got loose when we were shooting and started running toward the freeway. And um, all the guys there jumped on horses with with um, lariats and went uh-huh. galloping after. Uh, to, to and roped in roped the, uh, the giraffe before it got to the freeway. It was like, whew. That's what that's what you need on the uh, that, on the DVD extras. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So then now I want to spend time talking about you. You're involved in the whole digital re- revolution, yeah. and how does this even come about? Because you were one of the sort of the first people to kind of jump on the bandwagon. Well, virtual George, reality and George all Lucas was my roommate in college, and so I followed him all the time, what he was doing. And when he was, he, was he a slob, or was he, was he neat? No, he was kind of <laughs> like a... a good he was very withdrawn, and he, he did a lot of drawing and stuff. And <laughs> said, he, someday I'll... <laughs> he was, uh, uh, yeah, he, he's focused on his little movies. And I was an actor in his first, yeah. first wind-up Bullock's film called Freiheit, which is online now. Cool. But um, uh, So he's talking about virtual reality. No, Wait, no, oh. he was talking about the digital uh, sets. Uh-huh. Working with digital sets on the, when he was doing the first Star Wars. Wow. The, the, I mean, the, the, the prequel Star mm-hmm. Wars. And so I went to visit him uh, when he was editing them, and I saw how he was shooting, which was uh, shooting on green screen or blue screen, mm-hmm. and building the sets in the computer. And right. it occurred to me that, that what he was doing was not expensive. You mm-hmm. know? So I tried it myself with this small little movie called Red Riding Hood, which, where I was trying to uh, figure out how that worked mm-hmm. and, and got to do moving cameras with digital sets and, and connect them so that everything worked together. Mm-hmm. And that was fascinating. And it's, it's the way most movies are made now, especially the big ones. You know? yeah. uh, definitely all the comic book movies are done that way. So that was the beginning of that, but that led to me wanting to do uh, more interactive stuff, and I mm-hmm. did the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience for Disneyland, right? which was a lot of fun, and that, <laughs> and that led to uh, working for the U.S. government doing a, um, a Humvee 
the, with uh, movie screens around it for soldiers to learn about uh, IED explosions, and so it was oh, like a, it was like wow. a Disneyland ride. And they, mm -hmm. the Humvee was a full scale Humvee that would go along like that, and we mm -hmm. filmed in 360 we filmed uh, what they would see out the windows and so when you're in it it felt like you were really driving through the desert and then uh, looking for bombs in the road ahead and then when you hit one they had all these special effects worked out so that it would jerk the Humvee and the smoke would come in a big explosion sound and the sound of ringing in the ears and, and this really has helped a lot of soldiers who um, have gone through that mm -hmm. if they go through an actual explosion they they are not freaked out as much, right. and they they don't stagger out and get picked off by snipers. Or if their buddy's leg is blown off, they can they can mm -hmm. help him. You know, they're not just like freaked right. out. And uh, is this the thing about you also you also invented a digital sort oh, of center? Oh yeah, co-invented it. Well, yes. Paul DeBevick is a brilliant uh, guy at the. Uh, USC's Institute for Creative Technologies, and, mm -hmm. and together we were fooling around with this project that was sort of like a digital version of Cinerama, mm -hmm. and uh, had three projectors, just like the old Cinerama, and right. uh, it was it was an experiment, and it looked great, it looked just like Cinerama, but, uh, um, you know, I think it... Um, Things have moved on to IMAX and stuff like that, but oh, for, for a little while it was very cool. Yeah, well, I was I was looking at things of you on the on the internet with uh -huh. this. I mean, it's fat. Did you ever think you could be an inventor and go in this technical route? Well, um, I I love uh, I, from the Ten Commandments on. I mean, yeah. I love special effects and and tricking the audience and trying new things. And and the the exciting thing about what I'm doing now, mm -hmm. which is virtual reality, I have a series called Defrost that's going to mm -hmm. be coming out soon. And um, it's a 12-part uh, series of five-minute episodes. Mm -hmm. And you are, become a character. And uh, you're a woman who has woken up after being frozen for 30 years. And you look down, you see your body in a wheelchair, and, and, and the family comes around and st starts talking to you. And the thing about virtual reality is that um, when an actor looks in the lens, a movie lens, it looks like they're looking at the camera. But in mm -hmm. virtual reality, it looks like they're looking at you. It really feels like these mm -hmm. are real people who are really in the room talking to you. And, and, mm -hmm. and it can be very emotional because a lot of people who have seen our show, there's a, couple, a moment when one of the actors, uh, Tana Frederick, uh, says, uh, I love you, Mommy, to the camera. Mm -hmm. And people come out with tears in their eyes. So it's been really uh, amazing. Is there anything different the way you direct them to, to act? Is it any, it's more like subtle? a play. It's okay. more like a play because we, we shot, shot with no cuts. We, mm -hmm. Every episode is five minutes with no cuts. And I try to have the wheelchair that the, that the viewer is in move mm -hmm. in some way so it's not static. Right. And um, uh, it's like theater in the round in reverse because mm -hmm. instead of the actors around, the actors are in the middle, you're in the middle, and mm -hmm. the audience is in the middle, the actors are around you. Mm -hmm. So... It's kind of cool. Oh, that sounds amazing. I, I love that. You have I have to try it. Oh, well, I know. I'm afraid. I told you before, <laughs> yeah. I'm, never, I'm a little afraid. Oh, it's, I'm afraid it's, I'd get lost. Well, Be like a go in a wrinkle in time or something. <laughs> well, Wouldn't be able there's to get so back. many different ways to, to, that it can be used. As, you were, as we were talking about earlier, yes. it can be used for, um, for, for training people to uh, get over phobias. I saw one where um, uh, the, for people who hate spiders... 
you, you um, have a spider coming across this table, mm-hmm. and then you have a thing you can push more spiders, less spiders. Uh-huh. <laughs> then as you, get, as you get trained, you can have more and more spiders and not be crazy. I know. See, I don't know <laughs> if I could do it, but like you said, to be it's on an real. airplane. or yeah, I know, yeah. but it would feel <laughs> like my thing would be rats. I, was, uh, I, like, well, I just couldn't. Met, this might train you. I, I, I know. Just what you need, right? To not be afraid of rats. I think that's an okay phobia to have. You don't have to worry about that. But the airplane thing, but, but when you said about the Humvee, I started, because oh, I'm also yeah. a little afraid to fly. And I was oh, thinking. Oh, flying, it's wonderful because when you put it on, I've done this in an yeah. airplane, put it on, and it feels like you're somewhere else completely. You're not, yeah. not aware that you're flying at all. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the person next to you won't finally won't talk to you right Um, Uh, Randall you talked about when we were out there you talked about um, how VR feels different in your in one's mind and in the memory can you right you know when you do a VR experience um, good ones um, after it's over and you Mm -hmm. look back at it it feels more like it's a dream or a memory than than something you watched Mm -hmm. because it's so immersive and you feel like you're there right you know that's that's pretty amazing you know, that's interesting because it sort of like gets back to that's why I always ask people the first movie they saw because yeah. I, you know, to me, the brain is like like wet cement. And mm-hmm. so whatever memories get put in there, they feel like they're they're mm-hmm. real yeah. memories yeah, in yeah. a sense. Doesn't mm-hmm. fe- even feel like a movie. Right. What was yours? Uh, mine was uh, Romeo and Juliet at oh. the drive in with my grandfather. So oh. it was like nudity, <laughs> older men, nice car, uh-huh. popcorn. Like it was a, all together. It, yeah, yeah. So all of those mm-hmm. things found places in my life again and again and again <laughs> you know if i see a man wearing like a, a like a cashmere you know because my grandfather would have these cashmere kind of houndstooth mm-hmm. you know it's like jackets i it it create it just creates certain mm-hmm. subliminal interesting uh yeah. things and and to me olivia hussey has always represented just an ideal form of beauty and i and i it, mm-hmm. I, I an idealized with the long hair and the what mm-hmm. so and i always think i wonder if that's just because i saw her maybe in a, in a film you know mm-hmm. well i think that the music in the ten commandments still holds up it's one yeah. of the best scores ever and i always am humming it you know is it Miklos? <laughs> no, it's a- a- Elmer Bernstein. Oh, it's Elmer Bernstein. Yes, yes. Oh. And I was once on a panel with him at, at USC in the music department, and I was just in awe of him, too. I was going, uh, Elmer Bernstein, I'm actually talking to you? Because <laughs> oh. that music is amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for working for my, with my grandfather, too. Oh, my goodness. Man, he was the greatest. I can't wait for you to see the movie. I'll I know. Be, I can't wait to. I've been... You've got to hound Diane Baker because every time I see her, she promises me she's going to okay. have a copy. But thank you. Thank you. And for I love being your here. book. I Aww, bought, I bought it and read it. It's fantastic. I blame it on Dennis Hopper. I do. It's all his fault. It's all his fault. <laughs> you can buy Ileana's book. Yes, I blame you can. Dennis Hopper on Amazon. It's also now out, out in paperback. You can find Randall at Randall Kleiser, K L. E-I-S-E-R, both on Twitter and Instagram, and his website is randallkleiser.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to check out your series, Frozen. 
That sounds defrost. 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 Oh, great. Frozen was taken. Yeah. Yes. Defrost. <laughs> I still. I yes. Okay. I messed that one up. That's and okay. as I always say, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is the end. Ooh, out temporarily Just of our this. show. Just for Thank today. you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Have a great day. See you next time. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Well, oh, From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.